Hello and welcome back to another episode of Beyond the To-Do List. I am your host, Eric Fisher. This is the podcast where we talk to the people behind the productivity. This week, I get to bring you a follow-up conversation to the last time when Michael Hyatt was on the podcast, where we talked about setting goals. If you've not listened to that episode, you can find that at beyondthetodolist.com slash 53. If you have heard that episode, never fear, this episode is not a retread. In fact, we go much deeper and much more personal, and in fact, revisit what we talked about then and how that played out through this past year for Michael, so we know that he lives what he preaches. Sound good to you? Great. Let's jump right in. It is my pleasure to welcome back Michael Hyatt to the show. Michael, welcome back. Thanks, Eric. So glad you're having me on again. Yeah, this is uh, number three. That's amazing. It's been... Man, it's been over two, it's been two and a half years almost since this show has been going. So that is hard to believe. I know it's gone so fast. It was one of my goals at one point. So see what I did there? Well, nice job. Very good. Your, let's see. Well, your last appearance was about a year ago and we were talking all about goals and we had a, honestly, we had a wonderful conversation. I, I got so much great feedback on it about your new course at the time, which is called Five Days Till Your Best Year Ever. My difficulty, <laughs> to a certain extent, this time around, and this is this is me saying a disclaimer to the audience, is if you listened to that episode a year ago, you know how good that was. And the thing is, is we don't want to do a retread. We're going to do a a summary, if you will, of what we talked about real quickly in that episode. But we're going to move on to, okay, it's been a year. We're in different places. You've reshot all the videos for the course. You've got these great three new free videos, I might add, that are out there. Yep. So, and they're wonderfully shot. I mean, I'm looking at them. I'm like, man, the cinematography on this is good. So let's uh, let's dig in. Let's just uh, let's okay. just talk. So you've got your coffee. I've got. Uh, well, I drank mine, but uh, you should be jazzed up now. I know I am. You can you can hear it. I'm like, oh, you know, he won't shut up. So here's the thing. What do we do at this time of year? Why this time of year? And it has a lot to do with threshold time, right? You know, I get asked that a lot. Why is goal setting uh, usually linked to the first of the year? And I think a, a couple of reasons. One, the holidays are just naturally a time when we refocus on uh, faith and family. And it's kind of a natural time to reflect on what's happened over the previous 12 months. And then New Year's is a time when we naturally start thinking about the future. So, you know, it's a natural time to plan. But I think for most people, it's also a time when things slow down for a few weeks, when we can finally have the headspace to just think about the trajectory of our lives. And uh, that's, that's why I love this time of year. For me, it's, it's just there's no better time of year than right now. It's like a lap, a lap on the, the track, if you will. You know, we, we've gone r- around once again, uh, or the earth has actually. Or sometimes it happens at milestone birthdays, because again, that's another year past, and we think you know the 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 passage of time. It's those those mile markers when we pass them. Suddenly, we're like, oh, we're passing that again. Hmm, Has, is anything different or better this time around? Yeah, are you t- talking about it just in terms of our lives? Is that yeah, yeah, and I think that I mean that's why New Year's, that's why our birthdays, these these pivotal points, even summer. Well, I think for a lot of people, you know, they, they get that sense of, you know, they're not making the progress they would have liked. And mm-hmm. you know, this year is, was pretty much a, a repeat of the previous year in terms of what they accomplished, maybe different names, different faces. But 
you know, I think there's, there's this one opportunity that people have as the, as the clock rolls over to think, what if this next year really could be different? What if I could finally achieve and then whatever their goal is? Um, it's, just a, it's just a time of hope. Yeah, because we're, we're spending so much time this time of year with thoughts of health because we're, we're eating all these desserts and, and other things. <laughs> That's right. Uh, whether it's Thanksgiving, Christmas, or New Year's because there's three parties involved too, if you notice. Then there's money spent on those parties or gifts or events and yep. career. It's you've, you've got vacation time or time the kids are off from school. You're spending a lot of times with family. And it's funny that all those things that I just mentioned are like those categories that really are. we wonder – uh, and we're we're forced to to face on because it's repeatedly in our faces uh, throughout this season that either we've made progress, we've fallen behind, or we're at the status quo. Well, I think it's a great time also to just ask: is is what I have is the status quo acceptable, or do I want something different? And you know, as I've been thinking about the course and about people doing goal goal setting, I thought you know. The one thing that most of us need to make progress is clarity and to just answer the question, what do we want? You know, and, and when you spend time with your family over the holidays or you spend time, you know, <laughs> pouring over the bills in early January as you're trying to pay off Christmas, you know, you go, what do I want? You know, is this what I want? Do I want to do, do this again next year or do I want something different? And it's just a great time for uh, self-reflection, for evaluation and for assessment and for figuring all that out. I personally like to kind of try to start preparing for the new year prior to Thanksgiving because I like entering into the time of Thanksgiving thinking about what I'm thankful for and also looking back and saying, you know, what what did not work out and how can I change that? And then that for me personally at least frees me up a bit headspace-wise for this season through to the new year. I know there's probably other people out there who are like, I don't want to think about anything until January 1st passes and then in the month of January, think about the new year and start. Because honestly, I mean, that is part of this is, is there's no one way to do this. There's, no. there's certain principles, but there's no one right time or way, right? No, that's right. I mean, when I started doing this, I was taking that week between Christmas and New Year's because in the industry I was in, in the book publishing industry, that was a dead time. And it is for a lot of businesses, not if you're in retail, but if you're not in retail for a lot of businesses, that's a very slow time. So uh, you know, we would have about half the staff come into the office. I usually took that off as a vacation, and I would just work a little bit each day, reflecting on the past and really turning the corner and beginning to plan for the future because I wanted to hit the ground running on January the 1st with my personal goals and with the key goals uh, in my work. And, you know, that for me was an ideal time, but you're right. I mean, any time that works for people is, is uh, fine. This year, I actually did it in late October. And uh, began, or I should say I got started in late October. I'm still not done yet. There's still some tweaking that we're doing. But yeah, whatever works for you is great. So this past year, you obviously had goals already set for this year. Feel free to share as much as you feel comfortable is probably a better way to put it, of what some of the goals were that you had personally this year and how those worked out. Yeah. One of them was that I wanted to double my revenue and my net profit in my company this year. And you know, we haven't finished the year yet, but we look like we're on track to even exceed that. Great. So that's been super. And, and you know, I just want to say about this one goal, sometimes people may think, well, gosh, it's not all about the money. Well, it's not all about the money, which is why I have other goals. But it's partially about the money because, as it turns out, my family likes to eat and, <laughs> you know, uh, my, my employees want to be paid and all of that. But, but more importantly, I find that big goals that are challenging goals 
really create something in me. They, they require a different me to show up in order to accomplish them. They require change. And I like that. I like putting myself in a position where, uh, where I could do that. So some of the goals, um, one of them is in the five, related to the uh, five days to your best year ever course, which was to triple the sales from last year. And I think we're on, on course to do that. One of them that I'm, I'm the most proud of was that I took my wife, Gail, to Europe for the month of August. And I was completely, I should say, almost completely unplugged. I got five emails the entire month. All of those from uh, my daughter who basically runs my business. And I came back to a completely empty inbox. Not, you know, 100 emails, not 1,000 emails, not two emails, none. Inbox zero. And it was because of how, of how I set it up. But the most important thing was I was able to do that, really focus on my relationship with my wife uh, in a beautiful place and just go deeper with the person I love the most on the planet. So we just had a great time. And, and that was a goal that uh, actually we had talked about for a couple of years, but never made it to the goal uh, worksheet until this past year. And we, we just did it. And there were, you know, that was a big goal, too, because I'm thinking to myself, can my business run without me for a month? And uh, how can I set it up so that I can succeed and not be distracted by all the stuff back home? And it was just incredible. Gail painted a bunch while we were over there. I'm an amateur photographer, and I took some online courses and shot a ton of photos. And, you know, it was just all, um, all very good. So those are some of the bigger ones. I had some related to uh, my parents, visiting my parents. This was really more of a habit than a goal, but I wanted to go visit my parents every week beginning on January the 1st, 2014. And I didn't make it every week, but I came close. And so that was good. You know, and that's kind of how goals are. Uh, I always hope to accomplish them, but... I'm like everybody else. I, I achieve hopefully most of them, but not all of them. So let me ask you this. I know that with goal setting, a lot of the times specificity is really the key. Huge. And the one where you and Gail got away for a month, what was, I know the goal there is, you know, the vague goal would be better marriage, but what were some of the specifics you two wanted to work on? Well, let me just tell you how I stated the goal. And I'm just reading right off my goal sheet. I said, take Gail to Europe for the month of August 2014, which is exactly what we did. Because I knew if we got away from all the distractions of home, if we got into a beautiful setting, and I know how Europe is, we're going to spend a lot of time over meals, looking at each other in the eye and talking about things that we don't have time to talk about in the normal course of life. I knew it would be awesome. But the other thing we did, too, as we, as we had that goal, as we thought about it, it, it obviously took a lot of planning and a lot of uh, intention to make that happen. You know, we talked about our expectations. You know, what do you want out of this time? Then she would ask me, what do you want out of this time? And so we talked about that and, and kind of calibrate our expectations so that we didn't get there and we were going in, in two different directions. So, for example, we landed in Amsterdam. And because my wife's an artist, she really wanted to go to some of the museums there, the Van Gogh Museum and uh, the Rijksmuseum. And so we did that. You know, I'm not particularly fond of museums, but I knew that was really important to her. And I got just great delight in kind of looking at the museum through her eyes and asking her what was important about that and what really resonated with her. And, and I kind of got swept up in it too. So there was a lot of that back and forth, you know, what's, what's important to each of us. Uh, and goals are able to frame a conversation. And, and I really believe in sharing goals with not everybody, but with the people that love you and can support you. And so I get asked this question a lot. Do you, do you and Gail set goals together or you do them individually? Well, we do them individually and then we come together and then we discuss them. So that's where we calibrate. Sometimes she might listen to my list and say, hey, I think there's something missing here. 
And like for this next year, she said to me, as she saw the initial list, she said, I really think you need one goal about the grandkids. And I don't care what it is, you know, you'll figure that out. But I just, that just was the first thing that struck me. There's something missing there. Mm, yep. I said, great. Okay. And women with their intuition, there's just something there. There is. And so. I think people that know us sometimes can see things that we can't see for ourselves. Or yeah. blind spots. It could be a, a, a business partner. It could be a best friend or, or an accountability group. Uh, again, I don't recommend setting goals broadly. And we may have talked about this last year. I don't remember. But there's that very famous TED Talk uh, by Derek Silvers on why you shouldn't go public with your goals or why you should keep your goals to yourself. Because right. it's, that the psychologists have shown that when we state a goal publicly – uh, we have the same psychological satisfaction as if we had accomplished it. So it actually works against us. But I don't think the, that the opposite of that is just totally keeping it to yourself. I think it's sharing it with the people that will hold our feet to the fire, pick us up when we fall, encourage us, uh, help us provide additional resources when maybe we get stuck. They can help us think outside of the box. But that's a very small uh, group of people, I think, for most of us. Now, I wonder, because I know that You've talked a bit more this time around about goal setting, the tie-in to happiness. And I wonder if Derek would say that there's some sort of happiness equating to uh, not keeping it private, but if you do accomplish it, celebrating it publicly. Yeah, I think so. Although I, I, will, I will say this. I used to think that happiness was related to achieving a big goal. So I thought, you know, early in my career when Gail and I got got married, it was like, gosh, if we could just buy – a house and get out of this apartment that we're renting, we'd be happy. Or, you know, Gail might, might have thought, you know, if we can just have a baby, and I kind of thought that, but not as much as she did. If we, just, <laughs> if we just have children, you know, that'll, that'll make her happy. Or if I can just get that promotion, that'll make me happy. And what I realized over time, and it didn't take too long, but what I realized is that the happiness doesn't come in reaching the goal or achieving the goal or reaching the destination. The, the, the happiness really comes and the satisfaction really comes from the pursuit of a meaningful goal and making significant progress toward it. Hmm. You know, I'm never more happy. I'm never more caught up in the flow and where everything seems timeless and I'm, I'm really enjoying my work or enjoying my family than when I feel like I'm making progress in those things that matter most. And, you know, the, the celebration from achieving a goal, uh, for me at least, is very short-lived. You know, I, I hit a goal, big goal. I remember when my uh, book platform hit the New York Times bestseller list you know, I celebrated for, I don't know, I mean, honestly, probably a night. And then I was kind of like, okay, well, done with that. Now what's the next thing? What's next? What's next? Because it's the quest that gives us that satisfaction. That sounds a lot like marriage. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like you don't enter into marriage thinking, all right, we've said the vow, we've arrived, this thing's done. No, that's like- right. <laughs> because every time you get to a new level, suddenly you, you see a mountain that you couldn't see when you were at a lower elevation. And um, I, I, I'm sometimes asked, um, in fact, I just had this conversation with, with somebody at a conference that I was hosting who said, when is enough enough? Because we we're talking about financial goals for our mm-hmm. business. And I said, I, you know, I've doubled my business each year for the last three years. She said, so when is enough enough? And I said, you know, honestly, it's not, it'll never be enough because it's not about money. It's about people I'm impacting. And it's also about, again, what changes in me. What does this require of me I'm pretty confident that if I'm going to double my business this next year, I've got to do something different than what I was doing this year. And so the thought of that, I don't, I don't really even have any ideas. Well, I have a few ideas, but I definitely don't have the strategy all worked out. But that to me is, is, is when I know that I've got a, a goal set right, when it's out of my comfort zone and in the discomfort zone. 
because that's where all the good stuff happens. So if I feel some fear, some uncertainty, some doubt, some, you know, wondering if I've got what it takes, those to me are markers that I'm kind of in the right zone. I'm in the discomfort zone, which is where I want to be, because that's going to be where I'm going to have to have a breakthrough, uh, either in my character or my thinking or the way that I do the business that I'm going to have to have a breakthrough in order to achieve that. And I want to keep putting myself in situations where a breakthrough is required. It's Stephen Pressfield and the resistance. Yeah, exactly. Or putting uh, extra weights on the, the barbell. Yeah. I, I got to put a little more. I've been I plateaued. Got to put some more on. Well, that's, that's a great analogy because like if you do strength training, I do it regularly. But if you do strength training, I mean, when is enough is enough? You know, you just say, no, I'm just, you know, now I'm on a maintenance thing and I'm just going to go to the gym and do the same thing I've always done forever. Yeah. No, you got to keep finding a new goal if you're going to grow and if your body's going to continue to respond. I have to ask, I know that you and I had a, an off record conversation about this. Did you have any goals about your podcast this past year? No, I didn't. Because there were some major changes. Yeah, there were some major changes. Those were probably, (laughs) those weren't done by design. You know, they were done as we kind of moved through the year. And after I just realized I don't like the way that I'm doing the podcast, that we've got, that was another breakthrough thing. It really came as a result of if we're going to double the business, we've got to free me up to do more of what I do best and less of what I don't do so well. And podcasting was taking for me, you know, I'm slower than, uh, than you are probably, but it was taking me about a day a week by the time I did the prep, did the recording, did the post-production, and then got it up on you know, Libsyn and out to iTunes and all that stuff. It was taking me about a day a week. We said, this is ridiculous. We cannot afford to do this. How could we t- completely re- reinvent this? So I said, well, one possibility is if I got a co-host who did all the show prep and showed up with the questions. I think it'd make the conversation more interesting as well. And what if we did it, we batch recorded these 13 at a time, and we actually went into a studio in Nashville where people know what they're doing as opposed to me fumbling around trying to figure out the post-production stuff. And that's what we did. So we've done it now uh, for, I call them seasons, but Mm -hmm. seasons 13 episodes. We've done it for three seasons now. But Michelle Cachat and I get in a studio in Nashville for a day and a half and record 13 sessions. And then I don't think about it again for another 12 weeks. I love that idea of batching that. And I love that you knew that you couldn't some some people would say oh i hate doing this the way it's it's just taking you know to take a whole day to do this one thing you knew you couldn't stop because you knew your audience and knew they needed it and wanted it and they would have been mad if you'd stopped well i so. said honestly i mean i think you and i probably talked about this but i did consider stopping yeah uh because it was so taxing on me you know because i'm trying to maintain a blog Uh, And I'm trying to run a business and create products because as interesting as the podcast is and the blog is, all that content's free. You know, there's, I can't monetize it directly. I mean, it's, you know, it does fit my whole monetization strategy. But at some point you just say, okay, enough free stuff. I got to create some stuff here that that I can sell. But the only way I could do that was to open up my schedule and and do something else. So it was goal related, but I didn't have a specific podcast uh, goal. Now that you're doing it that way, I love it because I get to – because I'm working from home uh, once a week. My lunch hour is I sit down and my Apple TV, I fire it up and I watch you. So what? Cool. I, I, I take the time to do that because I like the the intimacy of watching the, the video. I mean – and don't tell Cliff Ravenscraft that I said that but because he's all about audio podcasting. Although he's been doing video lately. But anyway, um, the reason I ask – if you had any goals regarding that is because I know you had a number of goals for 2014 and it was interesting 
now that I know the answer, to see how your one goal of doubling the business income and revenue and everything related to this huge change you had to make. And for my, then I look at myself and I'm thinking, wow, I'm not where I thought I'd be a year ago in regards to employment or what I'm working on and things like that. How does that come into play when someone's thinking about doing goals for the year when your life can get turned upside down with some of these major changes? Yeah, well, there's a couple things there. I, I'm my head is racing as you're you're saying, <laughs> um, but I I think as you sit down to do your goals, and this is so important, you've got to figure out the what before the how will appear. Let me say it again: you got to figure out the what, what you want, without regard for the how. There's going to be a time when you think about the how, but if you think, for example, you think, uh, and I see people do this all the time, they say, well. I'd like to write a book. Oh, no, I can't do that because I've never done it before. Or they think, uh, I'd like to start a business, but I don't have any capital. I can't do that. Okay, forget all that. You've got to set aside the fact that you don't have the resources, you don't have the time, you don't have the contacts, and say, what do you want? Assuming you did have all that stuff, what do you want? Just give yourself permission to dream. Because my experience is that the strategy and resources always follow vision. The more clear you can be on the vision the more likely and the faster the resources will appear. So I never know the answer to the question. Like when I set a goal and I say I'm going to double my uh, business and I'm sharing this with people I love and people that are close to me, I'm kind of hanging myself out there. I'm feeling a lot of discomfort at that point because I don't know how it's going to happen. This launch that we're doing right now for five days to your best year ever, I set a really big, hairy, audacious goal. I mean, it was kind of one of those where where I put it out there and I was kind of doubting myself the moment I said it. But I hung with it. I I stated it. And it looks like we're going to hit it. But the thing that you can never forecast, the thing you can never figure out is certainly bad things happen along the way, right? And in the pursuit of any goal, they threaten to derail you. But you know what? Sometimes good things happen that you didn't expect. We just had one today, an opportunity from an entire vertical market that we hadn't even considered that stepped in and said they want to get behind best year ever. So I just think that setting the goal, setting the intention, resources come to you. The strategy becomes more apparent when you've got a goal like that. You are able to filter which strategies work, which ones don't work. But the goal's got to be compelling to you first, if you're going to make it compelling to other people. And so you've got to be sold on it if you're going to sell to the people. And there's something about a big goal that does that. The other thing, though, is that, and this is kind of where the podcast thing uh, comes in, you know, is, is the question of what happens when you're about to miss a big goal? Because we've all been there. You know, we've, we've got this goal that we've set. And maybe it's rolling now into uh, April or June or August, and it looks like we're going to be completely off the mark. This is where we got to remember that the game's not over till the whistle blows. Anything can happen. You can't let the past determine the future. And I think when, when you're faced with missing a goal, and I've had a couple of opportunities to exercise this this last year, when you're faced with the opportunity or the, the situation where you might miss a big goal, You've really got three options. And I think, unfortunately, most of us think the only option is to just quit, walk off the field, maybe become cynical about goal setting, um, maybe just you know, hope to, to live to fight another day. But there's really more options than that. So the first option is that you can recommit to the goal. And that begins to me, and I take people through this in the, in the goal setting course, connecting emotionally with why that goal is important, finding your why 
and getting really clear on what's at stake, both positively and negatively. What happens if I, if I achieve that goal? What happens if I miss that goal? Who's going to suffer? Who's going to benefit? All that stuff, but get connected with it emotionally. So the first option is to recommit to the goal. You know, find your why, resurrect your why, and just say, you know what? I am going for it. I know it looks like I can't make it, but I'm going to go for it. If you can't do that, then the second option is to revise the goal. You know, it's like um, I had this goal uh, to run a half marathon earlier this year, and I missed the window on that. I missed the opportunity on that because I came down with uh, bronchitis, and it lingered like for three weeks. It, it messed up my training. So I said, you know what? I'm not going to pursue that goal. I'm going to revise that goal. And so I turned that into a strength training goal, which was really the thing I was after anyway, more endurance, more flexibility, more balance. And so I just revised the goal. Perfectly acceptable option. But I don't do that unless I can't recommit. Then the third option is to just remove it. There are times when the, most, the, the smartest, best thing you can do is just quit on the goal. To me, that's like the last option. I don't like to do that. But there are times when you just have to say, you know what? That goal made sense when I set it back at the beginning of the year, but it no longer makes sense. So I'm going to remove it and I'm not going to feel guilty about it. We had, uh, when I was in the corporate world and was the CEO of a corporation, we were trying to do an acquisition. And these things, when you're trying to buy a company, they often take months. And so in, as we were planning the next year, we had put it into our budget. We planned to acquire this company. Uh, it was all systems go. But the further we got into the due diligence and explored that company, the less attractive it was. So what happened to that goal? Were we going to just you know, head down? We're going to go ahead and do it anyway, even though we know this isn't a good deal for the company? No. You know, we removed that goal. We didn't think twice about it. We went on to, went on to other things. Some people say, well, it's okay to fail, and, 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 it, and it is, but it's not okay to fail intentionally. That's exactly right. And I really think that, that a lot of this comes down to quitting. So often we quit because we think we're not going to hit the goal. Not that we tried to hit it and missed. I mean, that's one thing. Then there's a whole method for processing failure and I go through this in day two of the, uh, of the course, you may remember. But processing the failure is incredibly important because you don't want to drag that into the, to the new year. But when the goal is still ahead of you, you know, even if it would take something extraordinary, occasionally things happen that are extraordinary and we just need to stay in the game until, until we win. I, I recently posted on this on my blog uh, about this woman, Heather Dornicker, who was a, um, a runner, and 400-meter race was her thing. And she was running a world, I don't know what they call those, but a you know, world-level event. Mm-hmm. And she stumbles, and not only stumbles, but falls flat on her face. Meanwhile, the other runners you know, are, are uh, you know, a half a lap ahead of her. It would have been totally acceptable for her to pick herself up, dust herself off, and walk off the field. She probably would have gotten a nice warm round of applause from, from the audience, you know, because she fell. I mean, she can't be expected to stay in the race. Or, or maybe if she really felt uh, energetic, she would, you know, stay in the race and kind of limp around the track. But at some point, as she pulled herself up from the dirt, and this is all on video. I've got the video on my blog. She pulls herself up from the dirt, and she decides to go for it. And she won the race, like by two-tenths of a second, first place. So it's not over till it's over. So good. I love that too. I love that video. And I think that's the thing is committing to a goal and how much commitment. A lot of people, they have priorities. They don't have goals. They, they get caught up in the fear or the hesitation, especially when the past is involved. Right. And I know for you, you've got a couple of different instances where people would say, 
Well, but you're a CEO. You can do anything you want. What are you talking about? And even then, that's not an excuse to not have the fear, you know? No, totally. And I mean, I, I would say fear is kind of my besetting sin. You know, it's a thing <laughs> I struggle with the most. Interestingly, because I'm, you know, a former CEO and, and do a lot still in the corporate world, I'm asked to speak to CEOs a lot. And one of the things I do is just, I'm very transparent. I said, you know, there, there are nights when I have laid awake just in fear, feeling like I wanted to throw up or going into a meeting and having my hands be cold and clammy and uh, just being afraid that I was going to be found out that I didn't know what I was doing. And I said, how many of you have ever felt that way? Let's be honest. I mean, literally every hand in the room goes up. And these are high-powered CEOs that you would think uh, that are beyond that. So fear is a very natural thing that all of us feel when we're, we're threatened. And then this is the great thing about courage. You know, courage isn't the absence of fear. It's just the willingness to act, to take a step forward in the midst of that fear and do the next right thing. And so if you feel afraid as you, as you look at a goal and maybe you don't know how you're going to accomplish it, uh, again, that's good. It's, it's, it's where the growing is going to happen. It's where you're going to uh, develop and where things are going to change and you're, bec- you're going to become more of who you were made to be. If we know that the fear may not ever fully go away on a permanent level, we can, however, to a certain extent, by dealing with our past and moving forward from it, especially with uh, tools like personal reflection and journaling, which I know you're a huge proponent yep. of, what are some of those ways that you've worked through, especially with your relationship with your father, really turned your course in life to a certain extent? Yeah, it really did. I grew up in a, in a home where my father was an alcoholic, and uh, initially um, he wasn't. You know, So he was very engaged with me as a preschooler and in my elementary school years. And I mean, taught me how to build model airplanes and model cars and played baseball. And I mean, just like the, uh, the perfect father. But, you know, he was, he was dealing with his own issues. And one of them was uh, that I, I didn't know for many years later was a war injury that uh, really, I mean, he was in a coma for six months. And I didn't know all this till much later. And had a terrible limp. Uh, all of his life still does to this day. He's 81 years old uh, now. But, uh, but he started drinking when I started to enter into adolescence and was pretty much checked out and absent. And I remember one time, and I told this uh, story at World Domination Summit, one day when I was a teenager, I must have been about a, a junior in high school, my sister and I came home uh, late one Friday night, and there was our dad passed out um, on the sidewalk. And in front of our home. And so we had to pick him up. Our friends were laughing at us as they dropped us off at the curb. And we were just mortified, embarrassed, humiliated. We took my dad in. My sister went to bed. And, and I stood there in the shadows as I looked at my dad, you know, asleep on the couch, snoring, and made this vow to myself. I just said, I will never be like that. And what I didn't know at the time, because it was kind of an unconscious vow that a lot of kids make uh, around different issues, is that set in motion a whole bunch of things in my life. Uh, not the least of which is I became a very driven individual, uh, really to the detriment of my health, to the detriment of my family. And I was, you know, I, I, I wanted to be the opposite of what I saw happening to him, which was what I call the drift. You know, he was just drifting, rudderless, you know, in an open ocean. And I said, I don't want that. And so I, it was all, to me, it was all about control, efficiency, productivity, all that. And, you know, I went through some hard things as a result of that. You know, a, a near health crisis, crisis or two in my 
uh, marriage and with my kids. But ultimately, you know, I came to the conclusion that that's not a sustainable pattern, that I, I wanted to really live a designed life where I was intentional. You know, what outcomes do I want in every area of my life? And, and to try to live consciously and fully awake and be aware, not being driven by these un, unconscious forces at a, at a subconscious level, but to, to really be intentional about my life and, and uh, choose the course that I was on. I love that the context of that story and, and the cause of your, your drivenness adds to your story of your stepping out from behind your CEO role to strike out on your own, especially having the failed business ventures in the past and how that's kind of a, a metaphorical slap in the face to a certain extent saying, well, you're so driven and you don't ever want to be like your father and yet you can't do it. Yeah, that's exactly right. And that was the conclusion I came to. And, you know, it was, it was terrifying to me to think about leaving my job as a CEO of a fairly large company and uh, thinking about going on my own because I had failed in a business back in the early 90s. And that was still that kind of the um, embarrassment of that still stung, you know, the humiliation of it. And I just realized that it was now or never that I really wanted to become a writer, a speaker, a coach. You know, all these things that I'd, I'd wanted to do, but the thought of leaving the financial security of the corporate world and pursuing this dream, you know, I just, I hesitated at that point because I had this thing from the past that was unresolved and I had to get, uh, get past. And then, and then just to realize, you know what, it's not all up to me. You know, I'm a person of faith. I believe that God is at work in my life and at work in my circumstances. And, you know, I've got just tremendous resources. And if I'm being called to do this, then I need to step out in faith. And uh, yes, I'm afraid. Yes, I'm, I have doubt. Yes, there's some confusion, but uh, the path is clear and I need to take the next step in obedience um, and follow it. My story is a little bit similar to that. My father and I never had a great relationship. He's actually, let's see, about 11 years now has passed from cancer. He was an entrepreneur. And so during this boom and resurgence and bubble of podcasting and social media and marketing and where I, I think I was listening to Chris Brogan and John Michael Morgan talking. And, and at some point I found myself saying subconsciously to myself, there's no way I could ever be an entrepreneur. And I'm like, why do you say that? And then it hit me that I was scared of being like my father, who I always looked at as a failure of an entrepreneur because we never had any money at home. Wow. And the depth of that, uh, not being aware of that kind of a psychological barrier to my own goal setting because I wouldn't let myself reach beyond that, you know? So in a way, I'm doing the same thing as you are, is now I'm looking and saying, oh, well, I always said I didn't want to be like him, but I didn't allow that kind of a of, you know, vow to myself or to God to move beyond uh, his failure in that area. Yeah, you know, it's really interesting because I, I've, I've seen this phenomenon in other people and I didn't, I didn't realize it was happening in my own life, but we tend to become what we focus on. You know, if, there's, if we're not careful, we can try so hard to avoid something that we actually steer the car right into it. I remember hearing uh, a friend of mine talking about learning to be a race car driver. You know, one of those things where you, you can pay uh, a bunch of money and they'll let you drive a real race car around a track and they'll teach you how to do it. And, you know, it's like one of those man things. One of the things they told him was they said, look, 
when you're going around the curve in the race car, look where you want the car to go, not where you want it not to go. And so he goes into this first curve at whatever speed those are, over 100 miles an hour, it goes into this curve. And he looks at the wall because he's headed straight for it. And he's like, oh, my gosh. And the, the, the guy that was riding with him literally grabbed his helmet and pushed his head so he couldn't look at the, the wall. He said, look over there. And amazingly, the car went that direction. And he said, if you focus on that, if you focus on the wall, you'll hit it. And I think that's where a lot of people are in their goal setting. They're, they're trying so hard to avoid something, maybe something in their past, that they end up steering the car right into it. And I think that's kind of what I had done. And I thought, you know, there's a better place to focus. What do I get? Again, it gets back to that first thing we were talking about, clarity. And what do you want? I love that you say in the videos, give yourself permission to dream again. And I love that you use the word dream because there's this aversion that people, they're talking about productivity and it's kind of a stiff, you know, suit and tie, um, corporate, structured, rigid Mm-hmm. view of that. And then they say, but I'm a creative type. It, there's not a versus. It's not productivity versus creativity. It's the same. And so I love that, you know, interchange. It's not, I don't know that it's interchangeable per se, the word goal and the word dream, but I think dreaming again gets you to the point of having permission to get past maybe a personality difference between somebody who says, oh yeah, I set goals all the time versus someone who else who will say, who, who would never give the time of day to free videos or your course or even this podcast, <laughs> but they want to be in a different place, but they don't feel structured or rigid or whatever. They feel organic and holistic and other words like that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and I think that's where we, we have to go back to, you know, the important thing is, is to be able to dream and to be able to get clear on what you want. And then there are a thousand methods to get there. But I like to begin, and I do this in day one in the course, where I just say, look, imagine that the next year is like a blank canvas. You know, it hasn't been painted on yet. It hasn't happened. What do you want to have happen? Because if you don't have an agenda for your own life, probably somebody else does. Maybe a lot of other people do. And you don't just want to end up in your life being sort of the combination of everybody else's agenda and everybody else's expectations. What do you want out of this life? I believe that I have a stewardship over my life that I'm going to give an account for my life. And I want to make sure it's going in the direction that it's supposed to, that's consistent with my calling, consistent with my deepest desires and my passion and my competency and all the rest. But it all comes back to that, that very first thing of dreaming, thinking about what could happen and not limiting that and not being subject to our limiting beliefs, because there's a lot of beliefs that we have that oftentimes if we'll just examine them, we'll think, well, where did that come from? You know, my, my wife went through this over the last couple of years. She always had this belief that she couldn't draw, that she wasn't artistic, that she wasn't creative. And then she got, literally, she would tell you this if she were here, she kind of got coerced by some friends, a lot of social pressure to get in this painting class. It was actually with uh, Dan Miller's wife. Right. And so she reluctantly went And she's very social. So she thought, well, you know, at least I can talk with the other people in the class and that'll be fun. What she discovered was that she really has this amazing gift for painting and for drawing. And now she's consumed by it. I talked about going to Europe and about her painting while we were there. And, you know, she's signed up for all these advanced painting classes now. And she's doing remarkable work. People are offering her money for her stuff now. But, But it was a limiting belief. She wouldn't allow herself to dream because there was this unexamined, belief that was in her heart. And finally, she, she said to herself, where did that come from? I don't know that she's found the answer to that, but it came from somewhere in her childhood where at some point 
she shut down and she just said, I'm not a creative person. And she walked off the field. But what if that's not true? Whatever it is in your life, whatever the limiting belief is that's keeping you from dreaming, what if that limiting belief, that thing that's keeping you from dreaming, what if all that was, was really a story, a narrative that you built, an interpretation around some facts that happened, but there's always what happens to us and then there's how we interpret what happens to us and the story we build around what happens to us. And if we're not careful, those narratives can also be unconscious and they can limit us and keep us from dreaming like we should and keeping us from living the life that I believe God intended us to live. I'm sure you've got some success stories that you've heard after going through the course last year. We've got a ton of them, actually. We, in fact, we sent a video crew around the country capturing some of these. But uh, one of the best ones I heard was just uh, recently, you know Ray Edwards, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So Ray did the course last year. Ray's got a great podcast, uh, The Ray Edwards Show. And Ray listened to the course. He got really inspired and he said, okay, I have two goals for this year that are really important to me. These are two he shared with me. And one of them is I want to lose 35 pounds. And the second one is I want to pay $100,000 off uh, of credit card debt. And he proudly shared with me the other day that he achieved both of those goals. Oh, awesome. So I, and he just said to me, he said, you know, I've known about goal setting, but I just, I just didn't have those written. I didn't, I wasn't focused on them. I wasn't committed to them. And I decided this last year, and there were some specific things he did that we teach in the course, but he said, I just nailed it. And you could just tell he was just proud of it and felt great about it. That's great. If we keep going with the race car driver metaphor <laughs> that some people focus on where they don't want to go, some people focus on where they want to go, and some never get in the car. That's right. That's exactly right. Some never get in the car. And I think sometimes we also forget the power uh, of incremental change over time. You know, for example, we, we might have a goal that we want to lose, let's say, 15 or 20 or 30 or 50 pounds. But we think, you know, that's a massive amount. I mean, if you just pick up a 10-bag pound of flour, you know, that's a, that's a lot of weight. Am I going to lose two times that or three times that? I don't see how it's possible. But amazingly, you can. Uh, my trainer was telling me today about one of his clients that this year uh, has lost almost 100 pounds this year. But you know how he did it? Two pounds a week. Mm-hmm. And so it was just incremental. It wasn't some massive thing that he had to go on this really hardcore diet. He just started paying attention to what he was eating. In fact, Ray said this. He used an application called Lose It. He started recording what he was eating and just being conscious about what he was putting in his mouth. He didn't starve. He didn't go hungry. He didn't have to even get crazy about it. But he just made a little bit of progress. And before he knew it, he'd lost 35 pounds. Man, I'm going to have to go tweet Ray a congratulations on that. I think, Michael, that we've hit my goal for this podcast and done almost no retread on last episode. (laughs) Good, good, good. So this is great. I love it. Okay, so let's tell people where they can go, what they can do, what what it's all about. Disclaimer, you know, I'm I've got an affiliate code for people to to go check out the free videos, and you know, if if they decide to move on from there to the course, you know, I get a little chunk and that helps me with my goals for this next year. Hint, hint. But uh, talk about these free videos because they are really well done. Well, thank you. Yeah. So I've got three videos that I provide for free. And what I really wanted to do there, Eric, was add tremendous value to people. So one of the things I talk about, for example, in these uh, videos, the very first one is five secrets really for setting yourself up for a great year. There's certain things that people um, who are high achievers do to set themselves up 
for a productive year, for their best year ever. And so I talk about that in the videos. Then the second video is called Five Characteristics of People Who Consistently Get What They Want. And it's not just that you've got to set yourself up. There's a certain way of being, a certain way you have to become if you're going to consistently get what you want out of life. And so I walk through those five characteristics. And then I talk about a proven roadmap a methodology that I teach in that third video for getting to your best year ever. But to just to entertain the possibility, and we've had, for example, over 7,000 right now as we're talking, over 7,000 shares on, on Facebook, thousands and thousands of tweets and retweets, uh, about 600 comments at this point of people just saying that you know they'd kind of buried this part of themselves and hadn't given themselves permission to dream, and now they're suddenly thinking about, wow, what if? And that's really what I wanted to do in those three videos is help people come to that place where they could dream again and to give them some very specific, practical guidance for how to get there. Awesome. Well, I've watched the videos. I love them. And people can go check those out at, and if you want to use my affiliate code, just it's bestyearever.me slash Eric. And that's Eric with a K, E-R-I-K. There's also a, a, an infographic PDF in there, which is really cool as well. Yeah, that's a that's a fun one because uh, we talk about the five characteristics uh, in that infographic, and so it's just it's really fun. I think my designer did a great job on it, and yeah, and there's a few other free bonuses that we throw in there too. Cool. All right, well, everybody, go have your best year ever. Go watch those videos, and then go have your best year ever. Michael, thank you for coming back on the show. You bet, Eric. Thanks so much for having me. You're welcome. Thank, I'll talk to you hopefully again soon, and hopefully we'll, we'll I'll be down in your area some time to, to visit. Give me a call. I hope you enjoyed that. I hope that if this was the first time you heard Michael talk about setting goals, that you go back and listen to that previous episode. You can find that again at beyondthetodolist.com slash 53. And even more so, I highly recommend going and listening and watching and learning from Michael Hyatt and his free videos, which you can find at bestyearever.com dot me slash e-r-i-k that address again is best year ever dot me slash e-r-i-k that is an affiliate code if you decide to move on past those free videos and get into the training i do get a little bit of an affiliate payment from it and again that would help me out with my goals for this year which is bringing you many more awesome podcast episodes trust me you're gonna like what's coming next Thanks again for listening, and I'll see you next episode. Beyond the To-Do List is a proud member of the Noodle Mix Network. Find more of our award-winning and award-nominated podcasts to make you think, laugh, and succeed at noodle.mx. Learn how to podcast. Theorize over the TV shows Once Upon a Time, Once Upon a Time in Wonderland, and Under the Dome. Laugh with our clean comedy, delve into science fiction and philosophy, learn critical thinking from movie reviews, and more at noodle.mx.